Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were there in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Dr. Riegerd and Tamara. If you're standing at your house, you can go ahead and be seated if you are doing that. It is good to preach for you, though I miss you being in the room. Uh, this brings back some memories of how it all went for so long uh, out there when we were sort of in the throes of the uh, lockdown. It is really good to have you in the room. So this is a little bit different. We have a few of our staff because we are in the midst of what I've heard some people call a uh, snowpocalypse, maybe snowmageddon, and, and you should know this, um, like Jason said, it's a Friday and we are recording for Sunday because we're worried about putting people on the streets uh, during what is going to be a blizzard, it looks like, on Sunday. And, and it doesn't look like it's going to get much better before Wednesday, and as you know, that is supposed to be our Ash Wednesday service, if for some reason... The weather does not let up and we cannot gather on Wednesday night. We think what we will do, we think what we will do is push that experience, that Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday experience to the following Sunday. So uh, I think we may break a rule or two, but we may call it Ash Sunday. So please don't worry about that. We are, your safety throughout the pandemic has been paramount for us and that would include any risk that we might undertake as it has to do with the weather. So that might be coming. Man, what a strange passage of scripture. Thank you, Lisa, for reading uh, a very strange passage of scripture. Truth of the matter is, and we'll get into this later, it gets uh, stranger than that. Uh, it'll get a whole lot more strange than that as we go, and we'll get into it. But I do have some, some news for you. I want to start with this. It does seem that there will be another Mission Impossible movie. In fact, in fact, there will be two, Mission Impossible 7 and 8, and rumor has it that they will film both at the same time, so long as everyone can wear their mask, because if they don't, Tom Cruise has said he's not going to act, so the crew needs to wear their masks and those kinds of things. That is, that is actually in the news here recently. Now, you may not know this, especially some of you younger folks, but these Mission Impossible movies are actually uh, the latest renditions of an idea that started all the way back in the 60s. There was a TV program uh, that was entitled Mission Impossible, and here is a quick little clip from that program. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to get the document and bring Anna Kurkowska to safety. 
As always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. There it was, right there. That is the tagline that you hear in every episode, and what you didn't see right there is soon thereafter, that little tape recorder would start to smoke, and it would sort of self-destruct right there. Now, we are more familiar in recent years with the movie franchise, but it was the same sort of theme, same sort of idea. There would be this, this incredible mission that would be delivered. Now, instead of that guy, it's to the character that we all know to be Ethan Hunt, and it looks more like this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to penetrate the highly secured archive inside the Kremlin and retrieve Cobalt's file before he can destroy it. New intel suggests Cobalt is already en route, leaving you four hours, 52 minutes to infiltrate. To save time, we've chosen your team for you, Agents Carter and Dunn. As always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Ethan. There you have it. And I hope you caught this line because I think it's a pretty good epiphany line. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. As it turns out, the season of epiphany is certainly about God, but it is also about the mission of God. And beyond that, it is about whether or not we will accept this mission of God. Now, miracles throughout this series, by the way, I have really enjoyed this series with you. The Stay Curious Epiphany series has been one of my favorites. I've really enjoyed it. And if you have been paying attention, you will notice that miracles are sort of a sub-theme. Something really big and exciting sort of happens, but that miracle is never for God's benefit. Here we are on the last Sunday of Epiphany, always known as Transfiguration Sunday, and we will get into that story here in a little bit as well. But on Transfiguration Sunday, you need to hear me say this again. Here's another miracle, and we're going to talk about still another miracle with the passage of Scripture that Lisa read for us earlier. But these miracles are not meant just to pad God's resume. In fact, the miraculous always, always, especially during Epiphany, speaks to the mission of God, the transfiguration that we will discuss. It is indeed a miracle. Being swept up in horses and fire and chariots that we'll talk about later for Elijah, that is indeed a miracle. But the miracles aren't for God. They are for us. They are for the spectators who shouldn't stay in the spectator role for very long. And I'm hoping today that you will remain curious. I hope that you will stay curious about how it is that the miraculous always becomes a means of, trans of transformation for people like you and like me. If you remember, the season of Epiphany begins with the story of the Magi. Now, this is a miraculous story who, through their own competitor theology and ideology, somehow find their way to the Christ child and communicate a message from God. That, my friends, is a miracle. But, but what are we going to do with such a miracle? What's the point of this 
particular story? Is the point that God can speak in all languages, including astrology? Because that would have been their native theological language. That's not a bad answer, and it is miraculous, but it is not the best answer. The question for us as we look at this familiar story is this. If God would go to such great lengths to demonstrate the width and the breadth of the mission of God, then how am I, a follower of God, how am I to be shaped by this miraculous story for that same mission? And as I've said earlier, the season of Epiphany draws to a close always with this particular Sunday, the day of transfiguration. Another very strange story found in the Gospels. The story begins innocently enough. Jesus is going up on a mountain to pray, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. Nothing out of the ordinary just yet. But then something miraculous does happen. It seems like suddenly, before their very eyes, Jesus is transfigured. Or in what might be more familiar or a helpful term, Jesus is revealed to be the Messiah of God. A further realization of the mission of God now in our midst and the fulfillment of God's best and biggest promise that God would come to us. Listen to these verses from Mark chapter 9. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah. We will talk more about Elijah later. And then Moses, who were there talking with Jesus. So Elijah, Jesus, Moses. Peter is caught up in the moment, the moment of the miraculous. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is very good for us to be here. I am glad to have a front row seat for this miracle now, how about this? How about if I make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, so that we can kind of stay here forever? Let's just stay here in the midst of the miracle forever. Verse 6 actually records, he did not know, Peter did not know, what to say. <laughs> what, what do you say? For they were terrified. Terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. God knew what to say. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. There is Jesus in the midst of these other prophets. Sometimes you hear about this transfiguration story being such that it would be Jesus standing in between the one who, the one who is there to represent the, the law, Moses, and the one who is there to represent the prophets, but actually... Moses, too, was understood as a prophet, the greatest prophet. I think what might be happening is this. Prophets sometimes stand apart from their institutions. <laughs> prophets sometimes lack credibility because they stand apart from their institutions. And this Jesus character, if you'll remember, did not have much credibility within the institution. And so perhaps it took God saying, hey, this Jesus is to be understood as a prophet, but more than a prophet, like Elijah, and as a prophet, but more than a prophet, like Moses, you are to listen to this one, says God. And then, verse 8, suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Now, Peter, James, and John 
had had great opportunity, a front row seat, front row seat to see the miraculous. But the miracle did not exist for God. The miracle did not exist on its own terms. The miracle was meant to shape Simon Peter and James and John for all that was coming. A very difficult part of the story was coming for Jesus. And perhaps Peter, James, and John needed to see, needed to see that yes, in fact, God is with this one, this one that we have been called to listen to. Perhaps Peter, James, and John can now be shaped to be better participants. Now, not perfect just yet. In fact, Scripture records that they would go down the mountain, they would see somebody with an evil spirit, and they would immediately be unable to relieve this person of this evil spirit. They had seen it, this miracle, but they had not yet been fully shaped by it. This is the point in the story. This is the point in the sermon when I want to ask you a very important question. Have you seen the miraculous? Have you ever seen anything that strikes you as miraculous? Have you ever seen anything that leads you to believe, man, there's no other way to explain this, but God has done something. Sometimes those kinds of encounters with the divine, those kinds of miraculous encounters can only be appreciated in hindsight. And sometimes it's not just a singular moment. Sometimes you look back and over the course of, I don't know, 30 years at a church, you see something that you would put into the miraculous category and you would say to oneself, as I did this week, I don't know how it got here, it must have been God. But now the question is for me and anybody else who has had that encounter with the divine, now what? The miracle doesn't exist just to somehow give us another reason to applaud God. The miracle exists now to shape us for whatever is coming next. For whatever is coming next. So Epiphany starts with the miracle that announces the mission of God to us. And here on the day of transfiguration, Epiphany ends with a miracle that hands the mission of God to us and shapes us for the mission of God. And maybe this Old Testament text makes it even more clear. This Second Kings text includes a significant and familiar miracle of God. It results in great change. Elijah is gone. Elisha remains. So there is this passing of a mantle, a calling from one generation to the next. And at the end of the story, while Elijah and Elisha will have played significant roles, we will understand God to have been the main character, the God whose mission is always advancing, always calling for our help, always equipping us. At the end, we'll have a question to ask and then answer. Have I or have we accepted now our places in the mission of God? Because a lot of times what Christians do is this. We stand around waiting for the next miracle. We kind of live high point to high point to high point. How many Christians do I know, do you know, who, like Simon Peter, would like to just sort of build a little shack on top of the mountain and just stay there when the work that we need to do is down the mountain? The mountaintop experiences are great. They are great, and we need them. But we must understand and remember that the mountaintop experiences shape us for life in the valley. Shape us for life in the valley. You're not supposed to stay on the mountaintop. God needs you 
in the valley. Let's read through this familiar story of Elijah and Elisha. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, now stay here. This, this, this might be rough on you. This transition, this transfiguration, you might say, that Elijah knows that he's about to go through, this might be rough on you, Elisha. Why don't you just stay here? For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, no, you called me out of my old day job to follow you, and I am going to follow you. Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now this scene repeats itself a couple of different times. They are on a walk. It's, it's sort of a circle if you look at the map. They're kind of walking a, a circle, a circuit, you, could, you might say. And so they have occasion to have this exact same conversation a few times. And every time, Elijah says, listen, something big's about to happen. It, it may be difficult for you. Why don't you kind of sit this one out? And Elisha says, stop asking me to sit this one out. You called me to follow, and I'm going to follow no matter what. No matter what. So finally, they get to the last place. You get to the last place, and now Elijah understands that Elisha is not going anywhere. I am not going to leave you, says Elisha. Now they are by the river Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, call it like his, his cape, I guess, his prophetic wear. He took his mantle and he rolled it up and he struck the water. See if this sounds familiar. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. Yep, God's up to something again. In fact, God is up to something characteristic and familiar again. Verse nine, when they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you, my son, before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now, there's, there's some meaning in this little phrase right here. This doesn't mean that he wants to be twice as powerful as Elijah. In asking for a double share of his spirit, here's what Elisha was saying. I want to be considered as your son. See, the firstborn son would always get a double share, two-thirds of the inheritance, while the younger son would get a third. So this is what Elisha was saying. I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to receive your inheritance. I want you to consider me as a son because I want to consider you as a father. Verse 10, Elijah responded, you have asked a hard thing, yet if in fact you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, then it will not. As they continued walking and talking, all of a sudden, a miracle happened. A chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, a telltale sign of mourning and loss. He now recognizes that his mentor, now father, is gone. Now, Elijah had dropped this vestment. 
he had dropped this mantle and he meant for Elisha to pick it up. Verse 13, and so Elisha picks up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. I got to be honest with you. The rest of chapter two, there's some really good news in it and some really bad news in it. I think what I can say to you about Elisha is that he is not yet fully formed to be the person that God wants him to be. Now, the first move is pretty good. Elisha is walking back home, now equipped for the mission, and he comes upon a city that has bad water, water that is so bad that people are dying. Elisha, understanding that he now has resources that he didn't have before, says this, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it, and so they brought it to him. And then he went to the spring of water, and he threw the salt into it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome, and from now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. According to Scripture, verse 22, So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. And Elisha was speaking for God. But later on in the same chapter, there would be some kids, some younger people who would be making fun of Elisha and Elisha's bald head and Elisha does the unthinkable. He uses his power now to call bears out of the woods and they do terrible things to these kids. That is, that is not good. I'm not even sure why that's left in scripture to be honest with you. But maybe what it is is this. Maybe what's happening here is God saying, no, Elisha, that's not what I mean for you to be. That's not what I mean for you to do. You go to this town and you save lives only to walk a little further down the road to take lives. That's that's not what I want for you to do. Maybe God in leaving this story in, maybe that's what we're, we're to hear. It's one thing to see the miracle. It's another thing to be resourced by that miracle, but it's still another thing to recognize that we're all still in process being resourced by the miracle. That does not at all excuse what Elisha does because I don't think we should. But I do think we should recognize especially those of us who believe that at one point or another we've had an encounter with the divine. I do think it means that we should continue to ask this important question, how does the miracle shape me for the mission of God? Could have been a big miracle. Maybe you have a testimony of a miraculous healing. Maybe there are miraculous circumstances that you have witnessed firsthand and there is no other way for you to describe what happened other than that God must have been in your midst. Maybe it's a smaller miracle, still just as significant, but maybe smaller. Maybe it was the day that you heard God finally call you by name and ask for your life. By the way, that's miraculous. To have an encounter with the divine In the biggest of ways, in the smallest of ways, let's put it all in the miracle category. But hear me say again, miracles aren't for God's benefit. They are for our benefit. You can waste a miracle. You can waste a miracle. 
I would submit that Elisha coming uh, away from this encounter with the divine did not waste it in the first step and then did waste it in the second step. Are you wasting a miracle? Or do you recognize that the miraculous always, always, always intends to shape and equip you for the mission of God? Miracles always shape and equip you for the mission of God. Perhaps Jesus understood the day of transfiguration to be a miracle day. He certainly understood that he was being shaped and equipped for the mission of God. Simon Peter, not right away, but would eventually recognize all that he saw. He would look back, Scripture tells us, after the resurrection, he would look back at this moment of transfiguration and recognize that he had been shaped, shaped for the mission of God. What about you? What about me? Epiphany, the season of epiphany, and all of the miraculous stories that we tell every year, and by the way, we're right to do so. We're, we're right to tell the same miraculous stories every year. Epiphany is not just for the professional pastor preacher. <laughs> epiphany is for every one of us who recognizes that God has the capacity to do the miraculous and God has the capacity, and perhaps this is a miracle as well, to call people into mission. Folks, if you understand yourself to be saved, you need to know how God hears this. If you understand yourself to be saved, God believes that you are thereby commissioned, deputized, called into the mission of God. What does that mean, John? Well, it, it means that then your life can be spent, can be spent bringing the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. You mean it's not about heaven or hell after we die? I, I am fully prepared to say to you, I believe, I believe in separation from God, and I believe in ultimate union with God, and I also believe that God is way more interested right now for you to be interested, way more interested in what this means for Monday as opposed to eternity. Let that take care of itself. You take your place. You take your place as the partner of God who helps to bring heaven to earth even on a Monday, y'all. Even on a Monday. Or else we waste our miracles. It's a hard question. Are you in the process of wasting a miracle? Are you in the process of wasting perhaps a small-ish miracle, perhaps something that took place maybe decades ago, but you still can waste a miracle, even though it might be smallish to you, that happened 20, 25, 30, 50 years ago? Are you in the process of wasting a miracle that happened perhaps 50 minutes ago? God help us, we cannot waste these miracles. We, we must understand them the way that they have been communicated. We must hear them in the way that they've been communicated. And these miracles, specifically these that we've talked about today, all of these miracles have one thing in common. They all seek to 
recruit. (laughs) They all seek to recruit us to God's side in partnership with God in the mission of God. And it's nowhere more clear than perhaps this passage in Acts. And just so you know, during the season of Lent, we will be in the Gospels, the Gospels. But when we get to Easter and the Easter season, we're going to be in Acts because this sermon topic today becomes an entire book in the book of Acts, how people are called to Christ's side to help in this process of bringing heaven to earth. But do you remember the story out of Acts 1? This is as clear as it gets. Acts 1, after the death, after the resurrection, but prior to the ascension, Jesus gathers everybody, gives them one final speech. Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, this is miraculous, you guys. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Wow. To have had a front row seat at this miraculous moment. At the moment of Jesus' ascension, the remaining disciples were all inspired, still staring at the skies, and, and who could blame them? But that's not what God wanted from them at that point to be ever transfixed on the moment of the miraculous. And so there's an angel who comes out to say, okay, that's enough. Go. Enough of the stopping and the staring. Go do what you've been asked and equipped to do. Verse 10. While Jesus was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them and they said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking up toward heaven? You don't sit and hunker down with a miracle. You use it like a sailor uses wind. A miracle is meant to propel you into God's future. Have you seen the miraculous? What have you done with it? What are you doing with it? That miracle gifted to you by God was a moment of calling, whether you recognize it or not. You have been called to join God in the redemptive, restoring work of the kingdom. Now the question that we ask, and we will continue to ask it throughout Lind, is this. What's holding you back? We'll start that conversation today. This is our sermon series for the season of Lent. It's entitled, The Death of Me. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from saying a full, deep yes to the call of God, to the mission of God? We will explore that throughout Lent. But today, this last Sunday of Epiphany, the season of miracles, the season of mission. Today, be a good day to pray a prayer of confession. A prayer of confession. God, I confess that I have seen a miracle and yet I might be in the process 
of wasting it. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, in these moments, draw our minds back to the moment of the miraculous. That moment when something happened, perhaps it was big, perhaps it was small. Either way, hindsight being what it is, we look back and there's really no other way to explain it but that you worked in and through people, circumstances, to get all the way to us. As we are reminded of that miraculous moment, help us, God, to ask this difficult question. Are we wasting this miracle? Give us ears to listen to that miraculous moment all over again. Only this time, God, may we hear your voice in it, calling us to your side, calling us to be part of the process whereby all things are reconciled and brought back to you. Now I want to invite you to pray your own prayer of confession before I read our prayer corporate confession before I hand it off to Jason. Now hear this prayer. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. By the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life.